Hey there, this is Tammy File, and I'm so glad that you could join us today. We want you to know that whatever you're facing, we are here praying for you. And we pray that you're able to experience the presence of the Lord in your circumstances and that you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you matter to God. All right, First Chronicles 5.20, this is our theme verse for this semester. It may become a theme verse for your life. They cried out to God during the battle and he answered their prayer because they trusted in him. And we've been talking about trust, leaning into God or really climbing up on top of his shoulders, leaving our own way behind and trusting him. Tonight, if you would turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter four. We were in Nehemiah last week and we're going to be in there this week and we're going to be in Nehemiah next week. So if you want to put something there and kind of leave it, um, you can, you may want to do that. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament after Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Keep on going past the two Samuels, the two Kings, and the two Chronicles, Ezra, and then you find Nehemiah. Tonight's message is one that I have had to live out. I think you'll understand as we proceed with it. I'm guessing that many of you will have too. And... Um, it may be a reason that some people were not actually able to be here tonight, believe the enemy will have been working overtime. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to gather together with my sisters. My life could be so different. All of our lives could be so different. We could have been born in a different country where we would not have freedom to worship. We could have been born in a place where we would never have learned to read and to, to get to study your word. We um, could have been born with great physical, uh, mental um, challenges and disabilities and have a limited difference in our life. God, there's so many things that could have been different. I'm grateful to you for the life you do give. And Father, even when I sometimes complain about this, that, or the other, I'm sorry about that because I really, really want to live contented in you because there's nothing else. If, if you did nothing else for me, how could I ever complain? You've just blessed, blessed, blessed me through knowing you. Father, I pray that you pour yourself out on all of my friends gathered here and our friends online and by CD who are listening. Some of our gals have moved very far away into other states and, um, her packages are on her way to her and others gather by the computer. So, Father, I thank you that we all can gather together in your presence and listen for you to teach us and to hear and to apply and to be changed by your word. I thank you, God, that it is an everyday possibility for each of us should we be willing to take you up on it. God, I Thank you for what you will do here tonight. I just ask you, God, to bind the enemy, any confusion or misunderstanding, but that you will allow your truth to ring out clear and strong, Father. We need you in a very special way tonight to deliver your word, and we're trusting that you will do that. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to begin reading in Nehemiah chapter 3, but I'm going to hopscotch around. So if you want to just hang on and let me read to you, I'll tell you what verses I'm reading, but um, just in case that gets a little frustrating to you tonight, then I'll let you know when we get to chapter four. 
Okay, I'm going to start in chapter 3, verse 1. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. Let me back up. I'm sorry. Last week we studied that Nehemiah has returned to his hometown of Jerusalem, or to his people's hometown. Their uh, walls are completely in disrepair. They've been broken down. They've been burned. And um, he has gone back with the king's blessing and the king's resources, by the way, to rebuild this. And so he is there to do this. I'm going to back up into chapter 2, um, right in verse 18. And um, it says this, he told, I told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Jeshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Chapter 3, verse 1. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests. So you understand this is not your everyday guys. These are your priests. Went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Emri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasanah, they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. I'm going to skip down to verse um, 8. Uziel, son of Haraha, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. Did you catch what he does for a living? He's a goldsmith. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. This list continues down from every place in the wall. There is a different person or different family who is taking it. We're skipping down because I wanted you to understand the different kinds of peoples. We've seen priests. We've seen men of Jericho. We've seen a goldsmith. We've seen a perfume maker. Down to verse 12, I thought y'all might enjoy this one. Shalom, son of Halohesh ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. I thought that was good to know. <laughs> I thought you ladies would enjoy that. Verse 15, the fountain gate was repaired by Shalom, son of Kol Jose, ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam, have you ever heard of the Pool of Siloam in the New Testament? Well, this is a long time before that, and they were repairing the wall near there. By the king's garden, as far as the steps going down from the city of David. Beyond him, Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, ruler of a half-district of Bethzur, made repairs up to a point opposite the tombs of David. That would be King David, as far as the artificial pool and the house of the heroes. I'm going to skip down to verse 28. 
Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. We get to a place here where it begins to tell you that different people groups right in front of their house, they were the ones working on the wall right in front of them. Then down to verse 31 and 32. Next to him, Malkijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate and as far as the room above the corner and between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. Do you notice that here when we reach the sheep gate, that's where we began. So he literally, if you read the entire chapter, tells you every people group that took care. He even goes down and some of them is saying as far, they worked as far as the angle and then beside him worked. And he literally lists every single people group who worked on that wall. Now we're going to pick it up for our emphasis today. I just wanted you to have a picture that this were common people These were not just special artisans. They were all sorts of people who were at work here. Chapter 4, verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even if a fox climbed up on it, it would break down the wall of stones. Hear us, O God. This is Nehemiah speaking. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of your builders. I'll pause here to say I have not ever found the wherewithal to pray this against people I was mad at. Um, In the Psalms, you'll see a lot of this too. Smite the whole family, leave no remnant of the family. I haven't been able to pray that without feeling guilty, so I don't do that. But they they said it, and, and it's included, and so <clears throat> God listened to it. He just doesn't give us commentary on it. Okay, so verse 6. So we re- rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead, and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them, that's the enemies, came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. 
After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. But from that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Do you see that? You have your workers up against the wall and you have armed guards immediately behind them to protect them should the enemy come up. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. So you have there the worker has his sword on and is using two hands to build the wall, but he has a sword on. The the workers who have to come and go between the wall and the uh, supplies have supplies in one hand and their spear or sword in the other hand. And then you have armed guards behind that in a perimeter protecting those workers. Verse 19. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. A long passage today. Thank you for being patient and letting us read through that. It's a stunning picture. I wanted you to be able to catch a visual glimpse of the work they were doing to rebuild these walls. They were earnestly at work, but they were being challenged by a powerful foe, and they responded well to that. This brings us to point number one on your outline. Just like the people of Nehemiah, you are rebuilding your heart. Point number one, with the help of my God... I am rebuilding my heart. With the help of my God, I am rebuilding my heart. Part of me did not want to phrase it this way. I wanted to say God is rebuilding my heart because ultimately the Holy Spirit is the one who does that miraculous, amazing work. But the problem is he does not do it without our help. If you're not following God and cooperating with him in your processes, your heart is not being rebuilt. So the presence of the Holy Spirit there does not automatically make it that your heart is being rebuilt. He rebuilds what we give him permission and cooperation with. We've talked about the our uh, heart as a house, and we've said that when we get saved, it's as if the Holy Spirit comes in kind of to a basement level. And in familiar land, you'll see that the guardian lives in her foundation floor. I grew up in the upstate, and we had basements. Down here, I don't think anybody hardly has basements, but it's the basement. 
He's in the basement, under the stairs, the room under the stairs, the scary place. But we all know that in the course of our lives, we did not have the Holy Spirit in every area of our heart, meaning he owns it. I mean, the moment you are saved, your heart is deeded over to God. He's the owner of it. But as far as control of it goes, we still have much of the control until we progressively give up room after room after room into his keeping. So it is only with the help of your God, but he will have you do heavy lifting. Ladies, he will not do it for you. If you've walked with him long enough, we'd really like to say God will do it. Well, he will as long as I am doing the lifting with him. He never, ever scoots us out of the way and does that. Now, there are moments of miraculous healing where we have done everything we can, and then he comes in and does something so miraculous. That is him, but it never precedes a work from you in cooperating with him. Well, just like Nehemiah and those who are building the wall around Jerusalem, your work will be opposed. Point number two on your outline, my work will be opposed. My friend Amy found this particular cartoon, and I usually don't do funny on here, but I just thought, yes, we really feel like that sometimes, as if we're being stepped on. Your work will be opposed. You have an enemy, and he's a real, real enemy. In this story with Nehemiah, we get to give a name to those enemies, and we get to hear what they're saying. In your life and in my life, the enemy is more invisible than that. Want to look at verse Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. I believe it's in your notes. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Tonight's focus is going to be primarily on the fiery darts. We've been learning about trust. We're going to learn more about the shield of faith as these weeks unfold. And we're going to learn different ways to do that. But tonight, I want you to really understand the fiery darts that come at you on a regular basis. In Nehemiah chapter 4, did you hear in verse 2, these these um, the evil guys, here's what they say, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring those stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, says, What they're building, even if a fox climbed up on it, he would break down the wall of stones. They're making fun of them. They're taunting them. They're saying ugly things to them. Well, you know these taunts of the enemy. We've alluded to some of these before, but tonight I want to get a little bit more specific for you. At the same time, I'm going to challenge you. In your homework, you have had a section for a while now that allows you to name what negative thoughts and messages you've been receiving. I hope that you've been doing that because the first step in standing against the enemy is recognizing what we're taking in, what we're being fed in your familiar land story. It's familiar land radio and it's constantly streaming. 
The truth is we don't know that those aren't our thoughts most of the time. But let me ask you something. Who really benefits if you stay discouraged and defeated? Who wins? The enemy does. And the truth is, most likely, every time those things come, as quickly as you come to, do you know what I mean by come to? Because they lull us and somewhat drug us. We wake up to it and say, wait a minute. No, that's not right. Well, that's your voice. That's the Holy Spirit helping you wake up. But that that lulling before that is not just yours. Now, he may be playing a record that he's played most of your life. And he knows that record. And does it play on insecurities in you? Yes. It plays into beliefs that we have inside ourselves. I've told you before that every act of God's restoring something will require a shift in your belief system. Your perspective will have to change. You will have an aha moment. You have a time where... Um, when God finally shows you something, you will have told the story and you'll be telling your ladies and saying, and I was studying along and then suddenly, you know, it was just like this and I'm going to tell you what it is, but it's going to sound like, duh. We, I mean, I sort of already knew it, but now I really know it. You know that dialogue? Okay, that's the Holy Spirit um, giving you a change in perspective on belief. But the enemy's going to go after those beliefs that are in error. Thank you for listening in. I pray that God has stirred something within you today. You can find more information about this study at TammyFile.com.